Hello there, this is Coden. And this is Cassia. And welcome to the Evan Hawk, a podcast where we discuss Star Wars, Knights Old Republic, as well as everything Star Wars. Today we will discuss Star Wars Squadrons, Swoop Bikes, and Kotor, and discuss how racing inspired a galaxy. Spoiler alert for those that need it for the Knights Old Republic series and the Star Wars films and TV shows. This is episode 26, and this is where the fun begins. So we'll get kick-started with our first topic where we're going to cover our listener questions. Our first one comes from Ironic.Designs, and they had asked, what were your reactions to playing KOTOR 2 start to finish? Which path or crew did you take? Uh, Cassie, why don't you get us kick-started on that? I first played KOTOR kind of right after Knights of the Old Republic 1, and it kind of just felt like a bit of a different game. and. At the time, I think that took a lot of people, it took them aback because Knights of the Old Republic 1 is just kind of like your straightforward hero's journey. Not too dark, but it still felt like an original trilogy story. Knights of the Old Republic 2, the game is just a whole lot more intense and the writing is just a lot more philosophical. It's kind of like the difference between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. They're both great, but sometimes like tonally a bit different at times. I kind of knew that the game was a bit rushed. It was unfinished. I mean, there's been a lot of movement like that's restored some of the lost content. So I, I don't think like having lost content like helped the game's reception at the time. It seemed like people really kind of just preferred Knights of the Old Republic 1, but as time has gone on, people have come to really value Knights of the Old Republic 2. Like that's how it is for me. Like I love uh, both of the games. I mean, that's why I'm kind of running, you know, a Knights of the Old Republic podcast. But Knights of the Old Republic 2 I, I like the diversity of the worlds and the characters. Some of there's a whole lot of characters in Knights of the Old Republic too. Some of them are okay, but some of them are really good. I, I really liked Kreia. Like Kreia is probably like in the top three or top five of my personal top Star Wars characters of all time. Vices Mar, I liked Bayodur. And then you have some old favorites like HK-47 and T3-M4 actually kind of does stuff in this game. It was darker and you could kind of feel that it was a bit of a rushed game, but with time and the restored content, I think it, it just shines. My favorite characters were usually to have with me as I did my missions, you know. Um, Kreia was solid, Beodur. Vices and Mira. I like them. And like basically all your crew can become Jedi or Sith. It always helps to have more Jedi. Uh, what about you, Coden? 
Uh, well, with this, with these types of games, I tend to not really pick like a side. Uh, I tend to just kind of let my choices kind of dictate where I feel like I want my playthrough to go. And so um, when I pick a team, I tend to pick somebody who's really good with healing. And then I, I pick just another person that can help with um, taking out enemies. Uh, I prefer somebody who can take out lots of enemies at a time, but typically they're just doing the same types of attacks that I'm doing. And so that's kind of how I tend to set up my team. I haven't gotten far enough in the KOTOR 2 to really get to that point. I don't know if I, I will just with how my computer will play KOTOR 2, but that's uh, that's definitely how I played the first KOTOR was um, taking a look at the different strengths of the characters available and kind of picking those that kind of fit with the parameters that I prefer. So ironic.designs had a, another question for us and they had asked thoughts on a what if uh, animated series or film. For example, George Lucas's sequel stories in Clone Wars styled by Filoni. What do you think, Cassia? I've been thinking for a while that if they were going to do like a, I remember the comic series Infinities that had some different takes on episodes four, five, and six. And four, it's like, what if the, what if Luke's torpedo going into the Death Star didn't go off? What would happen? What if Luke died in episode five in the weather and then Leia would have ended up becoming the Jedi? Then in episode six, what if like the thermal detonator accidentally went off earlier? After I watched the Disney gallery, The Mandalorian, where Dave Filoni was explaining the Duel of the Fates like Qui-Gon would have been the father that Anakin needed. I would kind of like a what if comic or series or whatever, like exploring what would have happened if Qui-Gon would have trained Anakin, just kind of like seeing what would have happened in the prequel trilogy if that would have happened. Because I don't think Anakin would have been Darth Vader. And I think things would have looked a lot better for the galaxy. You know, like what if Anakin let Mace Windu take care of Emperor Palpatine? That would have been just over. You know, the, it's kind of the funny thing about the what if question is, I mean, honestly, you know, unfortunately we got this sequel trilogy instead of George Lucas's vision for sequels. And, and that's just kind of it. Like it would be neat to see like an animated series, but it's just kind of like, treading on top of what we got instead so it's as far as like would we ever see it yeah it would have to be something that's like way after its relevance yeah i mean there was a comic adaptation done of george lucas's like one of the very first few drafts of the star wars so it was kind of interesting to see like like, there was a character named Darth Vader, you know, and he had, like, the Darth Vader pants, but he wasn't, like, a cyborg. And then characters named, like, Leia, Anakin, and um, Luke Starkiller, but they don't look like how we've seen them on film. And Han Solo is a green alien. Like, I, I could maybe see, like, 30 years from now when George Lucas is just a pleasant memory, you know? maybe those comics coming to light. So our next question, um, StarWars.Lores asks, if Leia was the Jedi in the original trilogy, how different 
do you think the events would have played out? It was important for Obi-Wan to to watch over Luke. I guess he just assumed that he would be that mentor and figure to train Luke to be a Jedi. And so I think that their roles would have to completely reverse where Leia was the one that lived with Uncle Owen Aunt Beru on Tatooine and Luke would have been the uh, the Prince of Alderaan. And so I think a lot of things could have been different. You know, there's uh, Leia would have been the kind of the farm girl of the uh, of the moisture farms, and would that have actually played out? We don't, you know, that's a good that's a great question. And then we would have seen Luke in more of a royal role. I don't know. That's kind of my thoughts on. It. I was looking into why Leia was known as Princess Leia in the first place, and I had to re- I had to get that reminder that though Bail Organa was a senator, his wife was actually the the queen of Alderaan, which was a new fact for me. Because it depends where the twins go, how much, like, it would change the story. I think uh, with Yoda and Obi-Wan, they didn't want to raise the kids. Because I think they kind of learned that people needed families. And to kind of connect with, like, how the regular people live. Like, attachment is a good thing. And Jedi should care. So I think that was supposed to be, like... A correction that Obi-Wan and Yoda took was that they didn't teach them, but they sent them to be raised by um, the Organas and the Larses. One thing that also would have had to change is, so they, like, the, the initial assumption was that they needed to split the kids up because it would have left a smaller, like, force signature to split them up. And then what happened was is that Bail Organa had had volunteered to take Leia because him and his wife had always wanted a baby girl. Yoda's recommendation was to take Luke back to family. And that was kind of how the decision was made. So it would have had to play out that the Organas would have wanted a like an adopted son and then they would have sent Leia over to Tatooine. It it would have been interesting. I I would kind of want to see this alternate version of the Star Wars original trilogy where Leia was the Jedi, it would just be interesting to see, to have Leia meet Han sooner on Tatooine, not in a prison, and just kind of see them rescue Luke and get off. And I just wonder, like, would Luke have been flying in that alternate universe, like, to on the Death Star run, and Leia would have been watching? Um... I don't know, but... Would would the um, drive to rescue Luke be the same as Luke's drive to rescue Leia? You know, that's... Yeah. I mean, like, Luke was kind of like, oh, she's pretty, like, I'm sold, you know? Um, But I don't know if Leia would be as impressed. I don't don't know. Um, Leia seems a lot more like Anakin, a little bit kind of more hot-headed. Maybe it just would have been interesting to, like, kind of see her get stuff done her way and if she would have seen the good in Darth Vader. So it's an interesting question. I really enjoyed that one. With today's role discussions, like it, it could have it could have worked. You know, I think back in the sixties and seventies, like there was it was a different time and it made sense that Luke was a farm boy, but like nowadays, why not? Lindsay O asked what do you want lucasfilm to announce soon and we kind of covered this before we got our recordings kick started but i think it's about time for 
Disney or uh, Lucasfilms to start teasing us about a about the Kenobi series with uh, some some visual aids, some trailers. Yeah, uh, my hypothesis uh, after watching the Disney Gallery, The Mandalorian, is when they realized they needed to make script adjustments. They were already so far into the previs of Kenobi that um, to change the scripts, they kind of have to do kind of cast off some of the work they've already done and like kind of get back up to the point where they can shoot it visually and like with what's going on right now i i don't think any filming is happening at the moment um but it would be nice to get um some more official news on the kenobi series but as for me what i would want lucasfilm to announce soon uh, after reading George Lucas' Life by Brian J. Jones, I would have to say I want to hear something about Indiana Jones 5 because George Lucas would be involved with that. Uh, Spielberg would be involved. They might get a new director, but the same everyone who was involved for the creation of Indiana Jones would be would be involved. So... That'd be interesting for me. Yeah, I haven't looked at anything about potential Indiana Jones 5. I think Harrison Ford's come out about it, though, and said that there is discussion in the air over it. So, Yeah, he's he's game. So, like, everyone would, would be cool with it. So, yeah. All right. Well, let's take a, a quick break, and we'll move on to our next topic. next topic we're going to talk about star wars squadrons that was announced here just recently so this is a a new ea pvp pve space combat game and it takes place kind of post battle of endor with the uh, the new republic versus the empire it feels like this game kind of takes us back to some of like the old trilogy roots and just kind of like some of the older type of games that lucasarts put out because those ones really kind of changed the game landscape, I, I think. So it'll be fun to see their take on the post-Return of the Jedi era. Yeah, it kind of looks like kind of like a revamped X-Wing versus TIE Fighter style game. It's kind of interesting to follow, but, you know, there's some things with, the, uh, with EA as a whole that I think there are some hurdles to get past. But when we get more information, we'll be able to get more details on that. So... It's kind of described as like refined Battlefront 2 dogs fight in space. Um, each side will get a choice of four different types of ships. So whether it's a bomber or fighter, uh, interceptor or support. Yeah, um, I've always kind of been a bomber personally. So what kind of ship do you think you'll be flying? Uh, I alternate between fighters and interceptors. Um, if I'm feeling a little bit dangerous, I prefer the interceptors but i do kind of like the more balanced setup of a fighter what's neat about this game is that it sounds like you'll be able to 
uh, customize your ships a little bit, kind of fine tune them to a little bit more your style. So you, you kind of have, say, for example, you'll have the fighter as a frame, but as you play the game, you can kind of tweak certain things about the ship, like your firepower, your shields, uh, your, your speed, things like that. And so alongside of the cosmetics and things. So I, I am pretty interested to see kind of how you can customize and fine tune it. It's kind of like a, like a Need for Speed racing game where you can take a car and kind of make some adjustments. Yeah, personalization is always good and it'll just be cool to see some people's different takes on some of those. I was going to call them planes, probably just because I've been watching the Battle of Britain, the 1969 film that Lucas, he kind of watched it for reference. Before he even filmed Star Wars, he... Always, in every draft, he included a dog fight. There's always going to be a big fight. And he kind of mixed uh, Dam Breakers and the Battle of Britain and emulated the shots. TIE Fighter X-Wing combat and when you have them in the turrets of the Millennium Falcon. So I was just kind of watching that. But anyways, it'll be, it'll be cool to see all the, all the different ships flying around and how that goes. Yeah, what's, what's cool about this game is that it does come with full VR support, so you can you can play the entire game in VR. You can play the entire game outside of VR. It's just kind of your preference. Yeah, I I think the VR uh, will be a cool a cool way to experience the game. I never played Vader Immortal, but I I did have that experience uh, at the Void earlier this year playing Secrets of the Empire, and it, it kind of played around with the Vader immortal lore. So it'll be cool to see that support in a game later this year. So there are a few different worlds confirmed for Star Wars Squadron. Uh, so there is Yavin Prime, which like, you know, is a gas giant. And it's Yavin 4 was the classic rebel base. And then I'm pronouncing this Esselus, but maybe it's something else or maybe it's French you know and everything's silent at the end but that is a sector that's under imperial control and it's icy so it'll be kind of fun to dodge some of the, like I don't know icebergs or ice comets in space then there's the Nadiri dockyards it's a hidden starship manufacturing facility and then Sisubro which is the seventh planet of the Chandrilla system, and it's surrounded by remnants of salvaged Imperial ships. And then the one I think I'm most excited for is Galatan, and it, it reminds me of Paragus, the Paragus mining facility from the, the start of Knights of the Old Republic 2, because it's a remote moon that's been ripped apart and it's still molten, so visually I think it's going to be the, the coolest. Uh, and then the Zavian Abyss, it's in the expansion region, and there's asteroids floating around that are kind of electrically charged. Which world are, are you most excited for? Um, I'm actually excited for this um, Zavian Abyss. Um, this kind of reminds me of the nebula you fly through in Rogue Squadron 2 when you're escorting the Rebellion fleet. And so I'm kind of excited to kind of see this again. I, I think it'll be a good one. And then I think like seeing Yavin Prime 
from a different angle will, will be cool as as well yeah it kind of has a lot of like bestman visuals but but yeah i i liked like a lot of the promotion around the yevon prime where it had the the star destroyer hiding in the clouds and then kind of like yeah pops up you know that's i used that in a in a post it was just uh so instagrammable <laughs> yeah like that's 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 a really kind of cool idea where they use the gas to hide the signature of the Star Destroyer, and then it pops up as a surprise. And I'm I'm assuming that that's some campaign footage, and that, that'll be kind of a cool little story beat there. Yeah, I kind of think there the maybe one of the reasons we're not seeing like a Clone Wars era kind of dogfight game is because there's just something about when you're fighting another human, you know, and it's not a droid in the other cockpit, like, it just, the stakes feel greater, I, I think. I mean, I mean, there was, like, Jedi Starfighter that maybe we'll see something like that in the future, but this looks like an intriguing game, and I'm excited for October. Yeah, well, let's move on to our next topic, How Racing Inspired a Galaxy. thinking about this because as I as I mentioned I had listened to George Lucas A Life by Brian J. Jones and just kind of seeing uh the Star Wars Squadron trailer kind of just was getting me thinking of like there's always dogfights there's always going fast you know because when we're talking about Knights of the Old Republic we're talking about one of the branches off of Star Wars uh so I think it's always good to kind of look at the the roots of where Star Wars came from. So when George Lucas grew up, he grew up in Modesto. He was kind of a consummate underachiever growing up and his grades suffered because he would just kind of stay out all night cruising around Modesto, the Strip in California as a teenager. So when he was a teenager, just one thing was on his mind, cars. And he just liked going fast and traveling around searching for uh, races or, like, girls to pick up, you know? Just the downside was, like, his grades were not where he needed to be to graduate. So uh, just before his high school graduation, he'd been studying in the library. And then he's like, you know what? This is hopeless. I'm just going to drive home. And he ended up getting in a serious car accident like three days before his high school graduation and everyone thought he was going to die because everyone thought he was going to die. They're like, here's your graduation, like diploma, you, you, you passed, like, sorry, you're going to die. But he recovered. And during this time, Lucas like thought deeply about his life. And before the accident, he, he was going to, he intended to just become a race car driver but, like, after the accident, his car was, like, a race. It was meant to keep him in. Like, it, I think it was, like, a race belt. That failed. It ejected him from the car. And if it would have stayed in place, 
he would have been trapped in his car when it like got crushed on a walnut tree. So he was kind of just thinking like, I kind of failed as like, you know, a driver, you know, and I could have died. So he's just kind of seeing like every day after that car accident as an extra day, he'd been given to do something with his life. And he thought that he wanted to give education another chance. And that eventually led him to go into the School of Cinema at the University of Southern California. And I, I kind of don't know what the world of entertainment would look like if he'd continued to be aimless. And I just kind of can't consider like what would it what would have happened like if Star Wars hadn't been invented. But yeah, uh, he graduated film school and his second film was American Graffiti. I actually saw it all the way through for the first time about a week ago. And it's kind of like an ode to like growing up in a small town in the 50s, early 60s. And it's, it's his love letter, I think, to cruising and racing. And one of the characters drives a yellow car. And its license plate is THX138, kind of in a, as an homage to Lucas's film THX 1138. And it ends with a race, and one of the cars, like, it blows up. And I, I kind of noticed uh, the yellow car kind of carries over to Anakin's yellow vehicles. Because his pod racer, his speeder in Attack of the Clones in the car, well not car chase, it's a speeder chase in Coruscant. And then his Jedi Starfighter, they're all yellow. And I think that's kind of like, it's a flashy color. I think that George Lucas's like race car that he kind of souped up as a kid was also yellow. So it's kind of an homage to that. So Anakin, Luke and Han, they're kind of uh, all very good pilots and Anakin and Han especially kind of have that like cocky like I'm gonna do this you know and no one can stop me I'm the best you know. Luke's a little bit more humble but I was kind of thinking how there is always a pilot you know and in the sequel trilogy you have Poe Dameron and then even in like the branches of Star Wars and Knights of the Old Republic you have Cartho Nassi and then in Knights of the Old Republic 2 you have Atten Rand. There's always like fast and flashy ships, there's speeders, there's pod racing, there's everything. And because of uh, George Lucas's connection, like even if you look at his student films, he just understands like what it's like to be behind a car. And I think that's why people love the pod race scene so much, you know, and the Battle of Coruscant. Uh, what do you think, Coden? Yeah, so something that I was researching earlier today when we're looking at kind of this, kind of the yellow and things is yellow is used in Star Wars in two different ways. Um, and it's yellow or gold, depending on kind of the, the surface. But um, Anakin's pod, his um, speeder, and his, his starfighter have those yellow details. And they're kind of used in two different ways. One is, I think George Lucas kind of uses that to show off kind of like who or where the main character is. Because that's also present with Luke's X-Wing, where he flies red X-Wing, but there's yellow detail all over the place. Also used in a form of leadership, where the Star Wars, the Clone Wars, the battalion leader that's with Yoda has yellow paint 
all the separatist like command battle droids have yellow paint and then that kind of like fades with uh Revenge of the Sith but there's there's a bunch of yellow paint kind of displaying the leadership until the empire just kind of makes everything gray and with the rebellion there's gold leader and red leader that also use a ton of yellow paint on their helmets as well as gold leader has a bunch of gold detail on his y-wing so just kind of like some interesting little details in star wars which is kind of interesting i remember reading the revenge of the sith visual guide and it like next to Anakin's Jedi Starfighter, it said like Anakin may have chosen yellow to kind of tie back to his pod racing days, or it might have been to draw people's eyes in combat. And that is kind of an Anakin move, like to kind of want attention. So visually, it helps you find where things are at on screen. It doesn't it's not blue and it's not green, so it wouldn't get lost uh, in the blue or green screen, but it's it's a good visual reminder of where things are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if you if you learn anything from this section, it's just always wear a seatbelt, don't speed, don't text and drive, and don't drive under the influence of anything. So just drive safe. All right, well, let's take another quick break and then we'll go to our last topic and close out the episode. So our final topic is swoop bikes in KOTOR 1. So in tradition of Death Star trench runs, um, speeder chases and pod racing, uh, Night Seal Republic gives us some swoop racing. Um, so Cassie, why don't, you, uh, why don't you talk to us about that little sequence at the beginning of KOTOR? Okay, so it's mostly a mini game you can play later on in the game, but to break Bastila out of uh when she's a prisoner on terrace you have to win a a race um to save her cuz she's the prize so it's like putting the hidden bex against the volkers and there may have been a a souped up accelerator that kind of you know is cheating technically involved in the race and that's how Revan won but it's also because Revan kind of had some force abilities that helped him win the race. So we'll talk more about kind of breaking Bastila out and more about Terrace and all the all the story there, different levels and the gangs in a future episode. But eventually you do get off Terrace and after you win that race. And you later can, uh, there's like a mini game on two of the different worlds you end up visiting on Tatooine and Manon. There's a swoop bike stored in the Ebon Hawk. Um, it's a little bit of a different swoop bike than you see like in the prequels, but 
I mean, that it kind of makes sense because it's 4,000 years before that, you know? It seems like they were the kind of going more with the aesthetic of pod racers than when you're when you're doing the race on Terrace, I think you're using more of a pod racer, but later you, you use swoop bikes, if I remember yeah. correctly. I mean, technically it's a swoop bike on Terrace, on Tatooine and Manon. It just kind of, like evokes kind of more of the look of the pod racer yeah because the swoop bike is something that you see more like in return of the jedi and like what anakin uses on tatooine when he's trying to rescue his mom yeah they're not quite as advanced then but it is a swoop bike but yeah the rules for the swoop bikes as explained in knights of the old republic is you try not to crash pretty straightforward there's debris and obstacles in the course. And you try to hit the accelerator panels on the track just to kind of go faster. And then if the engine gets too hot, you have to switch the gears. Uh, so later on Tatooine and Manon, you kind of have to pay to play. I mean, you can race for fun, but you don't earn anything from it. So you win some racing bonds if you win. So on Tatooine, there are three tiers of races. Uh, you race at Anchorhead, and you talk to Mata the Hut, who arranges the races. And just kind of like when you when you're racing on Tatooine, it looks a lot like I mean, like with 2003 graphics, but it looks it reminds me a lot of like the pod racing scene in the Phantom Menace. Then on Manon, there's also three tiers of races. It's it's kind of cool visually. Because you get to go over water, like the surface of the water. You can see, like, Otto on one side and then some energy panels on another side. It's just pretty. Like, if if there were a movie, I would definitely want to see that. On Manon, there are three tiers to the race. You race in the Otto East region. And the person who arranges your races there is a cell calf named Tassilith, which is a fun name with no vowels whatsoever. And if you win, you end up getting some racing bonds, and it helps you uh, gain experience points and and some some money, which can help you, you know? Uh, what did you think about racing and KOTOR? Uh, when I played KOTOR, I was pretty fresh off of Need for Speed Underground 2, and they're basically the same with kind of the shifting game, where you're having to change lanes to avoid traffic cars and... Um, having your shifting to keep your engine from from uh overheating and blowing out so like i i was like really good at the swoop bike mini games so i don't know i i found it a little easy but it was it was kind of a fun change of pace i thought all right so this has been coden and this has been cassia and you can find us on instagram at evan hawk podcast and you can always uh click the link in the bio And there you can find where our podcast can be found. Our podcast can be found everywhere that Anchor Podcasts are distributed at the Ebon Hawk. And we are always grateful for uh, subscriptions, reviews, and shares. With that being said, we should be posting out an Instagram post on just the new iTunes data because we have officially moved our iTunes channel. So keep an eye out on Instagram for the correct links for that. And if you want to email us your comments and questions, you can do so at ebonhotpodcast at gmail.com. You can also just send us a message on Instagram. I also have my own Instagram account just at Coden Bond. 
can also find me at twitch.tv forward slash code and bond streaming typically Thursday evenings uh, when I do kick on Twitch, um, 6 to 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Our intro and outro themes were composed by Alistair Scheuermann. He can be found at alistairsounds.wixsite.com forward slash Alistair Sounds. And our transition music was composed by Christian Walker. He can be found at christianwalkermusic.com. Uh, this has been episode 26 of The Ebon Hawk. May the force be with you. We'll be back soon. Bye for now. Thank you.